Welcome to The Dish, the culinary travel podcast focusing on the stories behind world-famous foods. We are your hosts, Tom and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us for tasty histories, destination food guides, and more. In this episode, a brief introduction to Georgia natural wines, that's Georgia the country, not the state, drinking fresh wine direct from the Quevery, which is the clay vessel it was fermented and aged in, plus drinking wine at a private knife museum at someone's house. So let's do some Georgia stuff. Okay, hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Dish. Yes, this week we are focusing on a country that, well, we do talk about a lot because we live here. So, we thought we'd do a little bit more because we can't actually travel right now. So, why not focus on where we're at? Well, we mention it on a lot of episodes, but actually I don't think we've done an episode strictly about Georgia in like a year and a half. That's true, actually, since we did the mega two-part food episode. Yeah, so back in like episode six or seven. So... Time for some more Georgia stuff. Ago. Yeah, we always mention it briefly, but uh, there is so much with Georgian food and wine. There's so much going on. It's a pretty exciting culture to get a part of. And we've been living here for over a year now. Plus, uh, been here multiple times before as well. So, we've had some pretty crazy food and wine stories getting out there in the countryside. It's, it's pretty raw and it's pretty authentic here. It's not set up for tourists in the way where you feel like you're just being invited into an experience that the 500 people who came before you have already done. Well, I feel like in other countries um, that you sort of go to like a shop front almost. Yeah. Like the wine experience is a shop front and then you just buy the wine you like and maybe pick up a souvenir and, you know, yeah. it, it's a very sort of sterile way of tasting they wine. They have staff. staff yeah. guide you. We're here. Uh, you're actually invited into someone's home and you get a real authentic, homely experience. That, and that's what makes the difference. Yeah. So, there are different types of wine experiences here. Of course, there are a few large factories where you've got that sort of shop front feel where a few staff members just guide you through the wine. But there are so many places you can go where it's independent winemakers and there's literally thousands of independent wineries here because everyone makes wine at home. Like, it's a part of life. You, you literally can go to one of the stores, like one of the homeware stores, and pick up a wine, like apartment homemaking, like wine kit. Yeah. Like everyone makes wine. Yeah. So, yeah, they have like a, an entire winemaking section in the hardware stores, any of the big hardware stores, and you can get all the kit you need to make wine yourself. Traditionally, everyone would make their own wine at home, and they have done for many, many generations. And pretty much like, yeah, we live in Tbilisi, the capital. So, yeah, there are a lot of people making wine in their apartments, but most locals would have like their parents that live outside the city or an aunt or an uncle or a cousin or, you know, they've got some wine connection going down that, you know, someone out in the country would be making wine for them. Yeah. When it comes to making wine at your private home in the city, you have to have a cellar. And a lot of people don't have a cellar. 
So, I mean, really, there's not that many people making it in a high-rise apartment. No. But we have walked into people on the street who are just like, hey, do you want to come to my back room just now? Like, just come off the street and uh, I've got a cellar down there. And you just walk in, you're like, okay, this was a surprise. Yeah. Just uh, just up the street from where I live, there's just a guy on the street corner who invites you into his cellar. In most countries, you probably wouldn't want to do that. You would usually say no. But, uh, Serial killer. In Georgia, in Georgia, it seems completely normal. And so we're like, yeah. I'll come to your cellar, strange man. Why not? <laughs> yeah, it's like someone. It's like offering puppies to a little kid, but we're like, it's for grown-ups. <laughs> they're like, would you like wine, little boy? And you're like, yes, yes, I would, sir. Let's go. Let's do this. So yeah, we've definitely done that. But I mean, the real, the real thing where it's at, of course, is if people are growing their own grapes out in the country, and uh, or even buying their own grapes and making their own wine at home in their in their country homes, and everyone does it. So you can literally just drive up a country road and you'll see like somewhere that has a sign outside that says wine or maybe some bottles with wine in just standing on a bench next to the side of the road and you can just pull up and be like, hi, so can I taste your wine? Uh, that's not always the best wine. <laughs> Those are not like professional, professional uh, winemakers. So some of that can be pretty country rough. Yeah. But um, yeah, there are also a lot of amazing small winemakers who are making sort of five to 20,000 bottles a year. Real artisan stuff, bio wines, uh, and it's fantastic. And of course, we have articles on our website suggesting some of the best wineries to visit anyway. So when borders open up again and people can travel, we do have a lot of really great suggestions for wineries to go and visit. You don't have to just go and knock on a random person's door and be like, wine, please. No, but I like doing that. It is fun. You never know what you're going to get. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a bit of a wine lottery when you do that, but it can be quite exciting. So yeah, you can go to foodfuntravel.com and just type in Georgia wine or go to the Georgia section. It's pretty easy to find. That's one of our big articles on Georgia. Uh, or just type it into Google because we are definitely on page one for that. All right. Uh, so for this episode, we're going to do some wine stories because uh, as we said, like this whole just turning up to someone's house and being given wine, it just happens to us all the time here. Yep. It's like a part of life. So we've had a lot of these wine stories and it's like, uh, yeah, unlike when you go to a cellar door in most countries and it's a bit sterile and they have just a process that they put you through to do your tasting and then yeah, they've got a thing and maybe they have a USP about what they do to make it interesting, but you're not really having a personal connection in most of those places. So it's very different here when you do that. So we've got all these random winemakers that we've met. They talk about their wine. Uh, they don't necessarily speak a lot of English, but we seem to communicate somehow or we take a translator with us. It just depends uh, on what we're up to that week and what we want to do. There's so many of these wine stories. This is not going to be the only episode on this. Uh, this is our first of yeah. many over the next coming year or two of uh, random wine stories we from Georgia. We just keep going out and meeting really interesting people that bring, you know, a good story goes along with it. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in this episode, we're going to do a quick, a quick intro to Georgia and Georgian wine, like very, very quick, because there'll be more on Georgian wine. I think we'll do a special on Georgian wine specifically, because it's the oldest winemaking culture in the world by archaeological evidence, 8,000 years. So we'll probably do a full episode on that at some point. But for now, we're just going to do a quick intro. So in case you don't know where Georgia is or what we're going on about or whether you think we're talking about the US, which we're not. The U nope. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, the state of Georgia does not have uh, this amazing artisan winemaking culture. Nope. Like, they do make wine, but, but it's not quite the same. Both places are very well known for their peaches. Yes. So peaches and wine. So they have some, some food and, uh, and beverage similarities. But yeah, I'm going to do a quick intro to that so that everyone gets up to speed with the basics so that what we're talking about makes sense. And then we're going to talk about a couple of our 
favorite wine experiences? Well, there's so many, but I've just picked two at random that are awesome. One of them where we're drinking directly from the clay amphora, the cuevri, as it's called here, and uh, in a, someone's knife museum, which was odd. Do you go out to the countryside into someone's knife museum and just go like, oh, let's have a glass of wine together? It's also a private museum. Private knife museum. Yeah, it's, it, it's his own special private collection. It's only because our driver knew his... What, is, what was it? It was like his... He's like, oh, yeah, my dad knew this guy ages ago. So, if I just tell him my name, he'll let me in. And yes. that's how he got in. <laughs> well, more on that coming up. Uh, and also the singing winemaker. Yes. Uh, he wasn't even drunk when we started, but he started so. singing straight away. <laughs> At least we don't think he was. I don't think so. But yeah, it was just uh, ads. Not only was he singing, but he made everyone else sing with him songs that no one knew. <laughs> so, <laughs> Georgian songs that none of our English speaking guests had a clue what was going on, but we all just sang with him anyway. So, all right, that's it uh, for this episode today. That's what we're going to be talking about. So let's jump into our quick part one, quick intro to Georgia. Firstly, as we said, definitely not in the USA. If you're thinking about the country of Georgia, we are next to the Black Sea, which is the sea where Turkey is, the sea of Turkey to the south and Ukraine to the north of the Black Sea. And we also have Armenia and Azerbaijan and Turkey bordering us, as well as Russia to the north of us. So the Caspian Sea in Azerbaijan is to the east and the Black Sea is to the west, and that's where Georgia is. And it has a really awesome, diverse climate, which is perfect for lots of different types of wine regions. Yeah. I definitely recommend looking it up on a world map because yeah. uh, you can get kind of confused about where it's located. Uh, we're like nestled right up against the Caucasus Mountains and a uh, really beautiful region, but just an area like I had never looked up this area of the world on a map prior to actually coming to Georgia. And you go, oh, it's there. Wow. Okay, cool. Because it's Europe, but it's sort of like the Middle East area, yep. but it's quite far north from anything Middle East. So, we're not really near enough to places like Iraq for it to even be a concern. No. Even Iran is like a 12-hour, 15-hour drive. Well, there's whole countries in the way. Yeah, there's whole countries in the way of any of those problem regions like Syria and Iraq. So, we're really so far removed from that. And Georgia is very European. Very its, much so. In its style and sensibilities, it's sort of Eastern European, really. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely no sort of sense that it's a Middle Eastern country. It's really not. Oh, absolutely not. It just not. happens to be on this side of the world a little bit. But it's too far north, so it's not really the Middle East at all. But, yes, very much European-style history. Second country in the world to adopt Christianity in the yeah. fourth century. Yeah, so stupid long history here. Like, yeah. It's crazy because it's this country that not many people have heard of, but it's been around forever. In various states. So, Georgia as a country didn't really happen until the 12th century, I think, when it actually became Georgia. Yeah. And even now, Georgia is the English word for it. Um, before that, it was like Iberia and a couple of other states. And it's been, it's been in and out. It's, it's been a turbulent history for sure, but, but right the now culture, it's Georgia. The culture and, and uh, like the actual history of the people goes back very, very, very long ways to yeah 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 but it's just been invaded and occupied so many times that it's but they still have a very distinct georgian culture it's sort of they've weathered the storm of being invaded by uh, the turks and the persians and the russians yeah, uh, it's still very which georgian. is one of the things that's so interesting because even going to um let's say armenia and please if anyone's from armenia don't get Get me, but there's definitely a lot of uh, influence well from Georgia and also from Turkey, and I know they hate Turkey, but there is still a lot of influence that you can see 
going on there, along with their their Armenian um, heritage as well. But I feel that Georgia is very, very, very Georgian. Yeah. I mean, either way, it's the Caucasus and uh, this whole region have some similarities, but Georgia holds on to its identity really strongly. And especially their 8,000-year wine history, because currently archaeological records believe this is the longest winemaking tradition, longer than any other country in the world, back to 6,000 BC. They've found uh, some pottery that is stained with wine yep. um, just south of Tbilisi, the capital where we live. So, sort of about 20 miles south of here, there's a dig site and they found the pottery there and it's been carbon dated to 8,000 years old. Yeah. They found the pottery and an archaeologist mate went, it lick and it. went, yep, this is wine. Give you 10 bucks if you lick it. I think, I think that's probably not how they do it. No, I'm but, sure it I mean, is. It's a possibility. So, it could what be. What was it? Did I talk about this on the podcast that there was like, I think I did, um, that someone found a jar of liquid in a door frame in England, I think it was, and they took it to someone to test to see what it was because they thought it was really, really, really old port um, or something like that. <laughs> and then the guy who was test, like even the guy who was testing it was like, yeah, this is really old port like that you found in the door frame. And then he was like, I'm g- it's like over 100 years old. I'm going to drink it. And then when he drank it, he realized it was a jar of urine. <laughs> Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was not alcohol at all, because apparently it was a common thing uh, to ward off evil spirits. It was like some like back in the day, and they would put like this jar of urine and other things in the door frames, and he just drank a hundred year old urine, thinking it was port. Well, at least it aged well. I don't. Well, I mean, it stayed, but I don't think it aged well. <laughs> it was a thing. <laughs> Oh, it was pee. <laughs> Lovely. All right, so we digress somehow. We've already digressed already 10 minutes in. Sorry. Uh, yeah, so oldest wine history. This is a very brief, brief rundown. We're not doing a full history of everything. So, 8,000-year history. We're going to be talking about the Quevery. I mentioned that before. This is the clay pots that they age and ferment the wine in that are buried under the ground. And uh, So, if you've only really had European, modern European-style wines... Those are made by crushing grapes and aging them in steel tanks, whereas the traditional 8,000-year-old way of making wine is you throw the grapes along with the skins and seeds and sometimes the stems as well. All of that just goes in the pot and you mash it up for three weeks while it ferments. Let it separate. And then you seal off the thing and let it age. Bada boom. And uh, it all sinks to the bottom so that it's like natural filtration because it just separates and the good wine is at the top or in the middle. And then at the bottom, you've got what is called the cha-cha, is all the must that's left over. And they take that out and they make Georgian grappa, which is also called cha-cha. So named after the, uh, the gunk that it is made from. And yeah, that's a very quick rundown. Uh, one other point about this is important and relevant is amber wines. They're called orange wines in the US. I don't know why they chose that because that's a horrible name. Plus, only some of them are orange and they're definitely not made with oranges. So no. it's very confusing. They are amber wines. Uh, just they have an amber color, and this is due to skin contact when you make wine with white grapes. And uh, the skin contact then that colors the wine, and it can be anything from a pale gold all the way through to a pretty deep and dark caramel amber. Speaking the darkest one I've had. Yeah, those ones could be confused with urine, possibly. <laughs> one of the other most important things is they uh, a lot of these independent wineries they're making natural bio wines. And specifically, that just means that they're not using uh, chemicals like man-made chemicals. They're trying to use only like natural products to take care of the vines. They don't add anything to the wine. They don't add yeast. They don't add sugar. They don't add anything. It's all 100% just grapes go in, 
they do the process properly so that it makes wine and it comes out as awesome wine without anything else in it. Sometimes they add a bit of sulfide just for preservation. That's it. Uh, one other thing I'm going to mention quickly, a uh, couple of the main wine regions, because we're going to probably mention these names later on, and we don't want you to get confused about what we're talking about. Uh, Kharketi is the biggest, uh, most famous wine region. That's in the east of Georgia, and that's uh, bordered at the north by the Caucasus Mountains. So you've got this sort of beautiful valley with the mountains above you the whole way along. Lots and lots of wine being made there. Imereti is central west Georgia. That's the second biggest wine region. Uh, they're quite famous more for their whites and, well, ambers, ambers and whites. And um, yeah, we'll be talking about some experiences from Imereti just after this. And the area we live in where Tbilisi is, is called Kartli. They also make wines. They make some really good wines here, but it's not as famous a wine region as the other two. So those are the names, Kacheti, Imereti and Kartli. All right. Are we, we good? We got some basics down? Done. I reckon that's going to work. All right. So our first wine experience. Now, it'd be interesting, I guess, for pretty much anyone who's only been to a European American style winery with the cellar door and you just drink out the bottle. The concept. <laughs> a, bottle. a bottle? What's a bottle? <laughs> uh, the concept of actually coming to the vineyards and regularly, not every time, but quite often, being able to go and drink the wine directly from the vessel it was made in. You're literally going into this person's home where they make the wine and they open up the vessel and they scoop out some wine for you in a cup and you just drink it directly out. It hasn't yep. been bottled. Like, and we've had it both ways. So I know in a lot of European countries and because, uh, yeah, of course, they've got the traditional Kvary way of making it here. So the European style would be in the big steel vats. You may or may not have had the opportunity to see those if you've been on a wine tour. Uh, but we also have had the opportunity to try wine out of the steel vats as well by uh, meeting the winemakers. So, yeah, you get both of the experiences. And I don't think that is something that I've had anywhere else in the world where they, they'll just take you up to the, the steel vat, open up the, the little valve and we'll be like, let's give this a try. Yeah. I mean, normally when you do a wine tour in any sort of big organized winery, you've got a group of like 25 people or something. Yeah. So they're not going to open up a tank and just start giving wine to everyone out of the tank. It does, just doesn't not. happen. I've never had it happen in any other country but here. And I've yeah. been to quite a lot of wineries. So Yeah. But drinking out of the steel tank is great as well, of course, but drinking out the Quebri is the traditional 8,000-year-old vessel. Obviously, they made them more recently than that, but the tradition has been around for that long. So, it's quite a special experience to get to do this. And if you go on a wine tour with a large company and a large group, you're never going to get to do this. No. This does not happen. They take you to large wineries and you end up having something similar to the European American Californian wine tour experience. There'll be a line of bottles. Yeah. And they will pour you a uh, yeah a sampling from the bottle, which is fine, but it's not quite as amazing as meeting the winemaker and having him actually take you to the Quebri, the clay vessel, and actually scooping the wine out and you drinking together. Absolutely, that's a pretty incredible experience. And I think, I mean, we've spent in total, we spent about two years, just under two years in Georgia, or a year and a half, something like that, in total, total amount of days. Uh, over time. And I guess we've actually, or at least I've definitely done Quevery tastings, uh, maybe 15 or 20 wineries now, yeah. something like that, which is a lot out of like the 60 or so wineries I've been to. And yet every time like they do so. it, it still feels like such an honor. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It is. Yeah. Normally they only open them, uh, they open them like seasonally uh, if they're about to finish and bottle, they'll open them. 
or they open them very occasionally to do a taste test partway through to make sure they're aging correctly and they don't need to change anything. Yeah. Um, and then they also, sometimes they open them uh, at Christmas for religious reasons. Mm-hmm. So they have a special opening and they, they, I've actually heard some of them, they donate some wine to the church, their local church. They'll take them like 20 liters of wine or something. That's like a, like a seasonal donation they might make yep. rather than paying a, a tithe or whatever. They, they might give them some wine. That's one thing that can happen. And they are, we should also mention they are Orthodox here. So they yep. have a different Christmas to us. Christmas is in January. Yep. I like celebrating two Christmases. It's fun. <laughs> two Christmases in a row and two New Year's in a row. It, it's still a lot. It's a, it's a lot of wine that time of year, let's be honest. Busy, busy time of year. So, yeah, drinking from the Quevery is a pretty unique experience. And if you do come here as a tourist and you're only here for a few days, there's absolutely no guarantee this is going to happen for you. But what we have with our tour company is we do at least have a rough idea of which months are more likely that it will happen, because obviously when they're opening up around November, December, uh, before they age it, that's a good time. You if could you also come, come spring, at a time of year where they, there's nothing in them, because yeah. it's, uh, If you yeah. come like late August, they probably, they've emptied them all to they've clean them. They've all been them, cleaned. And-, and then they're going to put the new batch in there in September, October. So there's things like that. Or if they've just bottled everything and you're coming in June, they might have bottled everything in April or May, and so they're empty. Yep. Uh, it's, yeah, it's... Com- it's tricky. So, yeah, it's not something I can give you a hard answer on. But if you do manage to come to Georgia when all this lockdown craziness ends, uh, then this would be something we can help you organize because we, we do know people who would do it. It's just a matter of sort of pre-organizing it a little bit in advance, not booking your tour three days before you arrive because then we can't <laughs> plan it. No. So, yeah, uh, try to give the wineries enough notice and we can coordinate with them. Well, that's the thing. You things. have to remember that, as we, we were just saying, they're not big businesses these are family homes so they still have kids that have to go to school and they've got parents they have to tend to and you know whatnot so we can't just give them three days notice on this stuff because they are just family homes yeah yeah some of them definitely need a a little bit of notice just to even be there uh when you're going to somewhere that independent and that small yeah yeah but all right so for our wine story today of course tasting from the quivery is an amazing experience but i want to talk about the first time uh, we actually got served wine direct from the Quevery and they opened the Quevery for us because it was not only is it a unique experience in itself to get to do it at all if you're here on a brief trip, but the experience we had, this is still one of the craziest, weirdest experiences in Georgia. It's amazing. Well, I didn't think he liked us <laughs> to begin with. And then the next thing I knew, we're drinking wine and he's bringing out his homemade cheese. <laughs> Everyone's got homemade cheese. Yeah. It's awesome. So, this story is from the region of Imereti. I mentioned before Imereti is the second largest wine region in Georgia. Uh, and here, the traditional name for the Quevery is actually Churi, not Quevery. But if you call it Quevery, everyone knows what you're talking about. But that's their traditional name. They're a slightly different shape. Made out of different clay, this. too. Yeah, the clay is sort of like an egg, egg-ish shape, but then the bottom tapers off to be a lot thinner because that's where the cha-cha then sinks into. Yeah into the bottom bit. So you need to Google it probably, but it's a very large clay pot, somewhere between 50 and 2,000 litres. I don't know what that is in gallons, like 500 gallons or something. No idea. I think, or 250 gallons is 2,000 litres maybe. Uh, Google it. Google it. I think it's times by eight. I I don't know. Anyway, it's a lot. Um, So yeah, what they do is uh, in lots of Georgia, they have these buried in their cellar. So all you can see is the rim at the top and everything else is buried underground. This helps protect the temperature of the wine. So it's a constant temperature. But 
in Imereti region, rather than having them buried in a cellar, they often have them on a covered patio. So they have them outside and then with like a, a big roof just over the top and open sides. Yeah. That's the, more of the tradition there. So, yeah, we got this guide for the day in Imereti uh, off like a random website. No idea. Just It's pretty much like guides.com. Com uh, or guides.ge. Torhq.com, but there we go. I don't think it's it's not a particularly reliable way to get guides here. No. <laughs> but at the time there just wasn't a lot of things and we didn't know where we we're gonna get a guide from or anything. So we're like, let's try this website out. I've used it twice, I think, and I haven't used it again. It's fine. It works. It does some stuff. But uh yeah, we definitely just got a random guide, didn't know what the trip was gonna be like. None of the guides on there had any reviews because it's like there's not a lot of guides in Georgia that are on that website. I don't know. It was tricky to find someone, but got someone and we went out to the wine country. We did a bit of wine. And then halfway through the trip, he was like, so we're quite near to this place. As you mentioned at the start, he's like, my father knows this guy. My father grew up in this village. Yeah. And he knows this guy that has, what was it? it, it he didn't sell it to us as a, as a sword knife museum. No, he, he sold said it to it us a- as like the oldest so he's got like the most complete Soviet memorabilia, like private Soviet memorabilia museum in Georgia. The bottles. No, just in general, I think just all of his Soviet memorabilia. He's just known for having the biggest private collection. Yeah, but it's at his house. It's not a scheduled open museum. You can't just go in and drive up there at any point. No, this is why I didn't think he liked us. No, because we, we just turned up on his doorstep. We turned up on his doorstep. We didn't even call him. And the the guide was just shouting over the fence, going like, are you here? What's going on? I've got some tourists here. But yeah, and the guy come, comes out and he's like, what? And he's like, oh, I want to see this museum. So we're walking into this guy's private home. Uh, he lives in the village of Baghdati, which uh, is just on the edge of a valley. So like on one side of his house is this long valley. It's beautiful. Amazing, full of trees, lots of wind breezes coming through there. The other side sort of opens out into more of a plain where all the wine regions are, sort of a hilly plain. And we walk through his garden and he's got the, his workout equipment in the garden. It was like concrete stones with a pole stuck in it. Yeah, it was- he was like the equivalent of a tiny like little Georgian Popeye. That's what he reminds me of. <laughs> he was. He was short, but very muscly. He was so buff. And it's because his workout gear, like his weights, was just concrete that he'd fashioned onto a metal pole. Yeah, yeah, literally, it was just concrete cinder blocks yeah. jammed on the end of some poles and a whole bunch of this in his garden, and that was his workout gear. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, okay, so it's single male, works out a lot, has a strange little museum that's not open to the public. Warning signs? Uh, any sort of red, red <laughs> Let's go bells? in. Let's go in. This has got to be safe. This is. We all know from all of the movies that this is a very safe place to go. When these sorts of <laughs> things happen, you're just in like, In Georgia, yep. it is. In Georgia, apparently it is. Uh, disclaimer there, we take no responsibility for what you do. But, uh, <laughs> but yes, uh, we, we do these things all the time. Uh, so we walk into his little museum, which I guess was sort of like the size of someone's bedroom. It wasn't that big. It's, like a, it's a shed. Yeah, it's like a shed. So, yeah. A pretty pretty medium-sized bedroom room, but mm. out in his garden. And yeah, it's full of like hunting knives, uh, old rifles, and lots of different bottles, wine bottles, spirits bottles, all with different languages soda on. Soda bottles. Yeah, soda bottles, like lots and lots of different memorabilia in there. And this guy doesn't speak a single word of English, so our guide is translating broken English to us because his English wasn't amazing either, but good enough. And yeah, so we're in there and he's, he still seems a bit like, uh, 
God, yeah, all right, look at my stuff, great. And then we started asking him questions. You asked him a question about- I did. I said, what is the, the piece, what, what thing in here do you like the most? Like, what is your favorite piece of memorabilia in here? And he pointed to this old uh, Coca-Cola bottle that had never been opened. And he said, like, the, you know, the driver translated, he said that was one of the first- Coca-Cola bottles to ever get into Georgia in the Soviet times and he never opened it and it was so special to have like he got it on the black market somehow and didn't really go into the story of how he got it but it's yeah one of the original Coca-Colas to get into Georgia during the Soviet era and he just kept it and he's like most proud thing that he had in that entire room was a bottle of Coke. Yeah, so when we actually showed that we were taking an interest in the collection that's when he, he warmed up to us. Started being really friendly. And then he was like, okay, so wine, because <laughs> that's what happens in Georgia. If you visit anybody, yep. they'll say wine, wine, cha-cha, wine, whatever. Go for the wine option, everybody. Cha-cha is lethal, very strong. So, yeah, we just walk up to his patio and he's got all the, the quevries out on the patio, like underground, so you just see the, the tops of them. And, I mean, we just assumed that he was going to get some wine from a jug from the kitchen or something, because that's normally what you get. Absolutely, that's yeah. sort of the standard thing you'd get if you go to someone's place. but. I guess he just hadn't had a lot of visitors for a while, or he really hadn't had any foreign visitors in years or if ever. ever. I mean, I've got no idea. Obviously, he doesn't get a lot of English speakers coming through. And it was sort of, yeah, he just went, okay, I'm going to open the query. And we didn't even really know what was going on. No. But he just started opening the query and we're like, oh, oh my God, God. <laughs> he's opening the query. This has never actually happened before. We've heard about this through people and then it's never happened to us. Uh, and yeah, he just pulls out this beautiful golden colored wine with a ladle and just pours it into these little cups. And then we're, he's just like toasting and we just start drinking. And Yeah. And, and, it yeah, was, and then he's it, grabbing it, cheese from the kitchen and bread and everything. And yeah. it's turning into a little party. It, it was just the most unique and, well, I, I mean, it's still the, like the one experience that we all, I think we'll always remember because it was our first time trying Quarry wine in that way yeah. uh, with uh, Mini Popeye and Georgian Popeye. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call him. Georgian Popeye, Georgi Popeye. Um, and it was just such a really fun time. Like, we actually didn't want to leave, and we had to because we had other places to go and see and whatnot. But it was just one of those experiences that at first year we were a little bit hesitant about what was going on. And then it just turned into this really warm and welcoming thing where you could have, we honestly could have sat there all afternoon yeah. just hanging out with this guy, hearing the stories about, you know, where he got. You know, how he started collecting his stuff. Because he did start opening up a lot more about- Well, after a few wines. Well, everybody does, don't, don't yeah. they? They're like, yeah, so let me tell you about me. And uh, yeah, it would have been, yeah, just really cool to sit there and chat to him all afternoon. And it, but even just the small amount of time we spent with him was really special and just really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the hospitality here is fantastic. So, it's sort of crazy to think just- just walked, you like literally turned up uninvited, shouted over the fence for like 10 minutes until he heard us because he must yeah. have been down the bottom of the garden. And, and doing the driver something. had never met him before. Literally, like the guy came to the fence and he was like, My father grew up here. I'm blah, blah, blah. And he went, Oh. And you knew, like, he just knew from the last name that, yeah, he knew his dad. And so, of course, he was instantly welcome. And because we were guests of, of him, then we were instantly welcome as well. Like, yeah, it's this. Yeah, I love the hospitality culture here. They're very, very welcoming people. Yeah. I mean, when you grow up in a village of 300 people and you live alone, you're probably, exactly. probably more likely to be like, oh, yeah, okay, I know you guys. Great. 
Yeah, yeah. He'd never married, and it was just him and his dogs. His cinder blocks. Him and his, his dogs, his cinder blocks, and his very unique Soviet collection. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty crazy experience, really. And when you're looking at places like that, they don't bottle the wines normally. So, that's why it was still in the Quebri. We were there in July. And if you'd gone to a professional winery, they would have already have bottled the wine by July normally, unless yeah. they were aging it for extra time. Yeah, I think if he was going to go to like a friend's house, he'd put it in a plastic yeah, bottle yeah. or something like that. But he's just opening it up and just getting what out what he needs when he like daily, they, I guess. Yeah, I mean they leave them sealed. Yeah, uh, until they need to drink them, and then they take the wine, most of the wine out, or some of the wine out, or they mix one of the other ones that's. Like, yeah, yep. if they start unfilling one, then they start putting half and half together to make it refill and then reseal it so it will keep longer. So, yeah, it's not yeah. going to be the most refined wine you've ever had, but it's I all about the experience. Wine. I didn't think it was terrible either. No, I was I mean, surprised. I was expecting it to be much farmer. No, I mean, <laughs> like I, I wouldn't, even, like, I wouldn't even go close to saying not terrible. I would say it was actually decent country wine. Yeah. Like, yeah, decent quality. It wasn't sour. It wasn't off. There was no problems with it. There was no mistakes with the process. No, it was very drinkable. Yeah. Nice sort of light golden hint of honey taste and some sour fruit sort of wine. So light in body, but other than that, pretty good. Um, yeah. So what will happen if you do go to those very small homes, you do have that chance that they just won't have emptied the quivery yet because uh, they just need to keep the wine and there's no point in buying loads of big vessels to store the wine in when you already have a quivery to store the wine in. Yeah, exactly. It's and just extra work. You don't need it again until the harvest when you fill it up again and make the next year's batch of wine. So yeah, they just leave the wine in there, Yep, which is awesome. But yeah, if you go to professional vineyard, then they're going to be bottling the wine so they can sell it, which means a lot of their quiveries will be open in July. So July is typically not a great time to come for wine lovers. Uh, it's the busiest season, although at the moment no one's here because of Corona. Whoops. Hey. Yeah. So July, August, I find the weather's a bit hot and it's not ideal wine season. It's best to come in May. Especially in Imereti, in that region, it gets very humid. It yeah. can be very sticky. But come in May, that's yeah. when they're doing the new season wines, all the new season wines out. They have the spring festivals and you might be able to go and see the bottling process if you come April, May. Uh, although April, the weather's a bit hit miss, so May's a little easier. And then September, October is when they're harvesting, so that's an awesome time to be here. Yeah, because they might uh, put you to work. Yeah, you might get to pick some grapes. You might get to see them actually fermenting the wine. You might get to stir the wine if you're Actually, the next guy lucky. we're going to talk to was trying to wrangle us in to come back and help him out at... Free labor. <laughs> for free. He's trying to get free labor. We would have got free wine, wine but, but still we're like, uh, we'll see. So, yeah, as I said at the start, we can never really guarantee a quivery opening, although if you contact us way in advance and you can plan your visit around we can do when we can do it, what we can. We can try and we do it because we now have a lot of, lot of contacts, a we lot of wine ask. contacts running a wine tours here. Uh, eatthistours.com. Eat this. Eat this. Eat this. Tours.com. That's, uh, that's my tour company. So if you wanted to get onto any of this, do send me a message or go on the website, send me a, a quote request for your dates or whatever. Of course, right now, travel worldwide is very restricted. So coming to Georgia is going to be pretty tricky, especially if you're trying to come from the USA, where uh, a lot of countries have banned the USA right now because of the coronavirus. So that sort of sucks. But what we're going to be doing uh, for the rest of this year and possibly into the future as well, we'll see how it all goes. Uh, we're going to be running virtual tastings direct from Georgia with the winemakers. And you can get the wines delivered to you in the USA through our uh, distribution partners there. Uh, not every state at this point. We're currently studying in Washington, D.C. and possibly Virginia. 
possibly into Texas as well. We're just trying to negotiate all of that at the moment to see where they can distribute. Watch this space. Yeah, so keep up with us on that one. But anyway, especially if you are in Washington, D.C. area or know anyone in that area who would be interested in trying unique wines from the country of Georgia. Yeah, yeah that's definitely where it's going to kick off first. Rather than just a regular wine tasting event where you've got staff, as we said, we're actually we're organizing these wine tasting events with the winemaker themselves. And we've got people who can speak reasonable English so they can actually explain the wines to you really well and talk about the history of their wineries and their methods and the climates and all of the, the cool wine nerd stuff. Yeah, it just makes it a little more special. Yeah. Or you can just drink wine with us and that's fine too. Yeah. If you just want to drink the wines and taste them because they're very different. They're very different when they're made in this clay vessel rather than a steel tank. That affects the flavor a lot. When the white wines are made with the skins rather than just juice being fermented, that affects the flavor a lot as well and the color, as we said. So, yeah, uh, it's going to be a really cool experience. We already ran one here in Georgia in Tbilisi for uh, Tbilisi expats, but now we've shifted it to the USA. So we're going to be starting that very soon. Our first one is on August 2nd, and we're going to try and run one every six to eight weeks, probably something around that, depending on availability to the the winemakers. It's harvest time in September, so it's going to be tricky to work around that, but August we are set up for our first USA tasting. So yeah, for sure, if you are looking for something fun to do, from home because you're stuck and you can't travel and you want a little taste of Georgia, but you don't really know a lot about Georgian wine. And to be fair, most of the people who distribute it, are like the, the staff that work at the companies, they're not going to have time to give you a full wine tasting, explain the history of it. But we do. That's sort of the purpose of what we're doing. So they can sell you the wine and we can help you understand it, uh, which is really important because, yeah, it is a very different wine tasting experience from what you're probably used to if you've never had natural wines before. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, for this wine tasting, the first one we're doing, uh, very quickly, just a little rundown of what we're actually doing with this one. Uh, a winery that's actually very close to Baghdadi that we talked about, uh, where our, our friends with his query opening happens. Uh, Buyer's Wines. She's about a 30 minute drive from uh, this crazy little Soviet home museum. Yep. One of the, the first female run wineries in Georgia, actually. Yeah. She's actually been featured on Forbes 30 Under 30 Europe, the Europe edition of that, 2019. Uh, she was listed as one of the top 30 entrepreneurs. She's doing some amazing stuff. I'm so proud of her. Yeah. She's, and We've she, known Bayer for a couple of years now, and she's just, yeah, done some incredible things. Yeah, she's making some very interesting wine from West Georgian grapes. Grapes that you've probably never, ever, ever, ever heard of or seen in any supermarket like Krakuna and uh, Solikuri. And um, Aladasturi. <laughs> yeah, these are all grapes that I'm pretty sure if you just went to your local wine market and said, "Do you have any Soliguri?" They'll be like, "What?" what? Well, that's one of the things we forgot to mention is that there's like at least 500 dif- different grape varietals just in Georgia. So they've got so many grapes here that they can make wine with that you have never even heard of because they just come from this place. Yeah, endemic grapes that are from Georgia, 100% from Georgia. And uh, Imereti region has their own, Kareti region has their own. So these are going to be Imeretian style grapes. Yeah, so Bayer's Wine is like a family winemaker, small production, completely natural process. They don't put chemicals on any of the vines. They do things like planting different vegetables between the vines. Did she get her organic certification? No. I mean, this is a question that a lot of people are going to have about uh, the difference between bio and organic. 
I mean, organic is a certification that you pay a lot of money for. It is expensive. And you're still allowed to do certain things that wouldn't be considered natural. Yeah. It's like if you look at like beauty products and stuff like that, that is organic. It's actually more likely they're about 90% organic. And then there's at least a 10% variability of stuff that they use in there. Yeah. Yeah. Organic's a marketing term. It does yeah. mean that it's had they've made some effort to uh, maintain certain rules, but uh, supposedly they're still allowed to use certain types of pesticides with the organic rating. Yeah. Whereas someone who's actually genuinely trying to make this bio natural, uh, she really is not using chemicals. No. And not adding anything to the wines apart from a bit of sulfate for preservation. That's it. So yeah, and there's a lot of places like buyers that do this 100% natural wines, and sure it means the yield maybe is not as good, and sometimes they have problems, but uh, it does mean that you're not taking in any chemicals into your body. So, this is good. Exactly. So, yeah. Uh, and following that traditional method of making the wine in the creveries that they've been doing for over 8,000 years now. And also, natural wines means less of a headache, less of a hangover. Of course, it does come down to exactly how much wine you drink. <laughs> Always. Always. But having, yeah, a lot of that crap not in the wine bottle, you do find that you feel... A lot better the next day than what you usually would after drinking a bunch of wine. Yeah. And so everything they do at their winery is by hand. Uh, They even bottle with a little hand press bottling machine. That must be a lot of work. And someone has some upper arm strength to be doing that. Sometimes they don't even have labels. They'll just write on the bottle what it is in the year. Yeah. But I think the ones that are going to the US, they've put labels on them. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah. So it depends. So, yeah, it's a true artisan experience and Bayer is going to be on the call, hopefully with her sister, Gvanza, as well. She's lovely too. Yeah, they work together at this winery. So, Bayer sort of got everything kicked off and now her sister works with her as well. And so, we're actually going to be celebrating National Sisters Day on August 2nd. And so, we've got two sisters uh, to come along and talk about their wines. So, it's going to be a really special event for our first one, kicking it off. And you'll get to try these unique wines from the little village of Obja, near Kutaisi, the capital of Imereti region. So, yeah, do join us if you can. Uh, head to georgianfoodandwineclub.com and you can pre-register for this event. And we'll be sending out the details of which states uh, you can get the wine from, where you can get it delivered from, uh, nearer to the time uh, once we have that all organized. But yeah, especially if you're in Washington, D.C., do tell your friends because this is probably going to be our, our main starting point people there. If you know people in Washington who love wine, do let them know about it. Well, just go to georgianfoodandwineclub.com. Nice and easy. All right. Well, we were going to talk about the singing winemaker, but somehow we seem to have talked a lot about opening the quivery and uh, this episode has gone on longer than expected. Oopsie. So I think, as we said, there's going to be more uh, wine stories over the next few months. At some point, we'll do another wine stories episode because we have so many, including passing out on a beehive. Not us. We didn't do it. Someone did. Someone did. You know you're proper drunk when you fall asleep on a beehive. (laughs) Level six drunk. Yeah. All right. So we're going to have to wrap it up there, guys. Uh, We will make sure we include the singing winemaker. And he's got some very rare grapes at his place. He's not just a a singer, but he also has some interesting wines that you'll never have heard of. I hadn't even heard of them until we went there. Yeah. This is the only place I know who's using these grapes to make wine. Super interesting. Uh, So, yeah, if you are living in a country that's going to be able to come to Georgia soon, like I think France, Germany. There have been five countries that have been currently allowed full access, which is uh, France, Germany, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. So, you are welcome to come and visit if you are from one of those countries. Well, 
in August, maybe, and rules could change. So just saying, keep an eye out for information. This is not a news show. We don't know for sure what's going to happen. Please double check before you book anything. Um, But if you can come here or you're listening to this episode years in the future when Corona has disappeared for good, then do uh, go on eatthistours.com and, uh, you know, send us a quote form, send us an inquiry and book yourself up a tour with us if you want to come and do some of these quivery opening experiences, if we can book them, or maybe the harvest, or maybe just visiting a singing winemaker. <laughs> these are all options. <laughs> we got a couple of them up our sleeves too. Yeah, yeah, there's a few of them actually. But <laughs> So, and yeah, if you want to get involved with our virtual tasting, either on August 2nd or uh, into the future, because we're going to try and organize these ongoingly, uh, as long as people still need virtual tastings, we're going to try and do them. Uh, then go to georgianfoodandwineclub.com and you can pre-register there and get all the information about what's going on with that project. Whether it's 2021, 2023, we'll leave something up there telling you whether it's still happening or when it's happening or what's going on. So that'll be good. All right. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on your preferred podcast app or channel. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time.